Well, good evening. Welcome to Bible Talk with Jane and Shannon. I'm Jane. I'm Shannon. And this is a special one. It's on Colossians 3. I call this our Sunday School special because this was actually our Sunday School lesson today that we didn't get to do. So we're going to do it here and we'll just see how it goes. It might be a short one, but uh, it's on Colossians 3. And we're just going to see, we're just going to go for it. And... uh, my husband's being so sweet because I asked him if we could, and he said, of course, my dear. <laughs> and uh, so, because I enjoy our discussions, and so he's indulging me. I guess it's because it's May 2nd. It's your Mother's Day present for me. Oh, a sure. week early. A week early. There yeah. you go. Okay. So anyway, we'll start. This is uh, Colossians 3, and here's a quote <clears throat> from... Ashtera Shushu. Is that how you say it? I would. Yeah. Okay, Ashtera Shushu. She she has written a Bible study called He is Enough, Living in the Fullness of Jesus. Now, I actually recommend that Bible study, but here's a quote from it. If the first part of Colossians, meaning chapters 1 and 2, speaks of Jesus' complete adequacy to justify and sanctify believers, then the second part of Colossians, 3 and 4, fleshes out what that fullness looks like in day-to-day life how to live it out practically. And then I have another quote by Eugene Peterson from his book called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. It's a spiritual theology book. He says, We are invited to die his death and live his life with the freedom and dignity of participants. We enter the center of the story without becoming the center of the story. Mm, Isn't that good? I like that. Because that's true. You know, if if you enter a... If you become the center of just something going on here on earth, most if it's just about people, you become the center. Well, and more so than that, he says we become participants. It's in Jesus' story. Yeah. But we become participants in his story. And that's what this Colossians... And we come in in the middle. We didn't. We weren't there at the beginning of his story. Right. So and we could just get to be a part. We're nowhere near the end of the story, so that puts us in the middle. Yeah. And so People think the three, end of the story was the ascension, but it wasn't. Yeah. That's just the beginning. Yeah, that's just, we're still going. Um, so, would you like to read those first two verses? So, we're going to go through. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. Yep. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which God presides. Christ. Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Okay, so our first question says, verse 2, which it says, tells us to pursue, pursue the things over which Christ presides. How do we do this and what are these things? What do you think? Well, that's an interesting concept. Um, you know, the, when the I things that yeah, go ahead, Christ sorry. presides over... I would say right now um, are obviously his church, his desire for for everyone to believe and everyone to be saved, mm-hmm. um, his concept of again our relationship with Christ and and getting closer and closer with Him. It's that process is what He's involved in. Um, so, you know, being involved, pursue the things which Christ over which Christ presides, um, puts us back to that. You know, like Paul says. Uh, put your mind on these things. Yeah. To bring yourself, you know, Christ is not concerned at all with politics. Politics means nothing to God. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, all the yeah. all, all the different conflicts going on around us, 
pale in comparison to what Christ is really concerned with. Let me, I, I, I totally agree with you about the politics mm-hmm. thing, but he is interested in the people who are in politics. Of course. So if he would, if he would uh, lead you to run for office, and you would probably fight him on that, but if God wanted you to run for office, it would be actually for the people who you'd be working with, and also, of course, for whatever, whoever you're, sta- you know, right. are running for. But, but I, I really think that um, the focus of Christ is on the individual. Yeah. And not on collective groups. Yes, yes. And so I think, you know, so many times um, we, be, we focus on denominations or on churches yeah. or on something like that. And that's wrong. The churches are wonderful. Denominations are great tools for the churches to use to, to support each other. But God's focus is on the individual. And all that whole list you brought up, pursue the things over which mm. Christ presides, I realized when you were saying that, that goes back to when he said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mm-hmm. mind, strength, and whatever yep. else, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Right. So it does what he's concerned, like you said, he presides over, he wants to see every soul saved, and he wants us, like second, or First Corinthians 10.31, is that First Corinthians? Uh, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Right. And so that's... That is what he did, because he did everything for the Father. Right, and I think, again, um, like you said, the first commandment and the second commandment there, um, it's all about relationship. Yeah, it is. And how we treat God and how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what God, that's what Christ is focused on, that's what the Spirit's focused on, is getting us better at those relationships. Mm-hmm. And if we are doing that right, then we're walking with God. Yeah, because where Jesus said, "If you if you love uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments." Yeah, and there's his commandments. Okay, I'll read the next part. This is verses three through eight, and we are um, the translation we're using in this lesson specifically is the Message Bible because uh, this was chosen because it is so easy to read and very practical in this practical chapter. So that's why we're that's what this. Version is okay. So three through eight says, "Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity, like Christ, and that means killing off everything connected with that way of death: sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust." doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. And so two says, why does your real life involve killing off impulsive and sinful behavior and how is this kind of life that should be life not lie kind of life different from the rule keeping that paul argues against so because we have seen earlier in the book and and if you um are a believer you know that we're not supposed to be keeping rules we're supposed to be living by the spirit but this 
says, uh, kill, kill off this old stuff, the sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. So, um... Then, when I look at this, what I see in that statement that you just said there, mm-hmm. um, those are animal-type things. Ah, oh, yeah. Those are animal behaviors. You know, something bright and shiny shows up, and that's what you're focused on. Or, you know, we see that with our with our domestic animals. There's a certain season where all they're thinking about is is reproduction, and they lose their minds basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever been around studs and mares, you know that um, their behavior changes. Mares' behavior gets nasty, oh, and yeah. the, the studs get almost uncontrollable because the drive. For that one thing, that one thing gets so important to them. Yeah, and that's it. Says that's a life shaped by things and feelings. Mm. Um, there's no focus to it. It's just wandering. It's waywardness. Yeah, it's like you. It's it's the next best thing. So you go after that one, right. and then you go after this one. And there's there's no intent behind it. Yeah, and that's people will dismiss it also as a sin simply by saying there's no intent behind it. Well, I didn't really intend to do this. Or oh, that. I see. They did. They dismissed just, their responsibility. I just, yeah, it was just something that caught my attention. I, I just dismiss it that way. I hadn't thought about that. That's really. It's like they're diminishing their responsibility to right. being a sinner because because it's instinctive. Well, that instinctive stuff is is our human form, and that is that's the the basest level of humanity. The is, fallen nature part. Yeah, and that's the that's the lowest level. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're at an instinct level, that's the lowest level. Even if you look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you get to the higher levels, and they are deeper thinking levels, and they are more creative levels, and they are levels that um, you don't focus on mm-hmm. the mundane; mm-hmm. you focus on the divine. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do: is grow up. Act like you are who you're supposed to be. Yeah, don't live like animals. No, act like you're who you're supposed to be. And, and Paul in his writing here um, says this is not what God wants. This is, makes God explode in anger. It says, wasn't long ago when you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. And that mm-hmm. is what really, I think, frustrates God is when we know better oh, we and still we do still it. do it. Yeah. That's why, that's why Jesus was always so frustrated with the Pharisees. Yeah. You have all the writings. Yeah. You have all the prophecies of, of, of him. You have all the things that God wants you to do and still and they probably you choose have, yeah. not to. Mm-hmm. You choose to go for greed and power, which is, again, that is a base level thing. And appearances, because all the people thought they were so holy. Well, you can, and that was a power thing. Yeah. I, I think that was what it comes down to. The holiness was a power thing. Mm-hmm. I get to wear the robes. I get to stand in front. I get to say what you can do and can't do. And, again, animals are the same way. In that pecking order hierarchy of things, they want to be the top dog all the time. I hadn't thought about that either. That is like animals. It's very If you have a herd of animals. It is is very much a base-driven desire to have power. Mm -hmm. It's not a Christ-driven desire in any way, shape, or form. No, so our whole world, I mean, it's the world system... People always go after power or fame. Not always, I shouldn't say all people, but you know when when they're right. living by these instincts, and people applaud them for that stuff. 
Right. Oh, he's so powerful. Right. Or she is so powerful. And that is, that's simply Satan saying, come follow me and look how fun it is. It's right. not It's not ever what God wanted for us. That wasn't his intention, and it certainly what isn't why he sent his son, so that we could be famous. Well, here, so this goes along, this next question says, what does a life that is, sh-, and we kind of talked about this right. already, what does a life that is shaped by things and feelings instead of God look like, and how does it feel to live a life like that? Or do you even remember? Well, I think when we look at this, and we see... Um, the constant dissatisfaction with everything. People are dissatisfied with their with their bodies, with their incomes, with their houses, with their children, with their spouses. Mm-hmm. They're constantly looking for something that's a little bit better, a little bit shinier. And unfortunately, people treat other people like they would a car. Yeah, that's all. I can go get a new model. I can yeah. get a better one. I yeah. can make the payments. I can afford this or I can do that. If I have more money, I can get something better. And they treat the people in their lives like that like a commodity like i can trade up yeah whether it's men or women it doesn't matter but um and that's that is so contrary god is not into immediate gratification Mm -hmm. he's into eternity and the difference between immediate gratification and eternal gratification is huge yeah we should be living a life in anticipation of eternity, mm-hmm. not living a life of anticipation of the next drive-through. Yeah, we live in such a such a a self-gratifying and instant gratifying culture, where we want everything and we want everything right now. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get everything I want right now, I will throw a temper tantrum. I'll lay on the ground and I'll kick and I'll scream. Mm-hmm. And God says, yeah, "You're." You're you're bigger than that. Yeah. If you know the truth, you should be more mature than that, and that yeah. should not be an issue that comes out. Yeah. Um, All right. Okay, you want to read the next part? It says nine through eleven. Oh no, it goes on the next page. 12. Oh, it continues. Okay. Yeah, nine through nine through thirteen actually. Oh, All fourteen. Right. Nine through fourteen. All right. Okay. Okay. So, Colossians three nine through fourteen. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every time, every item in, of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish or non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what, what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Okay. I love that passage. Hmm. Okay, so this question, and actually this question, I didn't make this question up. This question came from that study by Astra Shushu. Yeah. Okay, so she wrote this question. What does the imagery of clothing communicate to us? The first thing that came to my mind when I read that is that these are things we can actually put on. They just aren't going to just... 
automatically appear in our character, but we can actually show compassion, be kind. I mean, it's a um, a deliberate thing. Yes, it's deliberate. a choice. Yes. It's a choice. We can choose to live one way or we can choose to live the other. I think that's what that's what Paul is talking here with Colossians so much about is is it's your choice. Mm-hmm. And that is an individual thing again. I, I, I know I harp on the individuality. No, no, of faith, I think that's great. It's an individual thing and that's why he says all these categories Jewish, non Jewish, free, slave those are all world categories. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean anything because you can be of the lowest class in the on the earth and be f- full in your faith. You could be in the highest class on the earth and be empty in your faith and vice versa. It doesn't mm-hmm. all those other things don't matter. What matters is that you are are clothed fully in the in the clothes that God provided for you. If you put on these things and you know uh Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, and discipline. If you're even-tempered, I like where it says content with second place. Yeah. Because that's not something that we applaud very often. Right. The quiet, calm ones that are in the background Mm -hmm. get all the work done. Yeah. We just had prom this weekend, and so that's something I noticed. The quiet ones that aren't going to get the most attention and are not going to be in the spotlight and are not going to be voted for anything... They're the ones that are the workers that make it happen, that make it possible. And they just quietly go about their business and they don't look for attention. The ones that are looking for attention don't ever seem to get anything done. Yeah, Shannon is one of the junior class advisors. Right. This so I had to be involved with first hand. Yeah, look but on it's this. it just and it's it's a reflection that you can see anywhere in society. Yeah. The ones that get things done are the ones that are quietly doing their work. Mm-hmm. The ones that make a big noise never seem to ever accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's what God's given us here is a choice. Choose to be the one that's productive mm. in your faith. Mm-hmm. And I I really feel God calls us to be productive in our faith. Not uh, dormant, but active. Mm-hmm. But being active in your faith doesn't mean you have to be leading a megachurch somewhere. Right. Being active in your faith is, is living a life uh, where you walk in God's will. Can I go on a tangent here? It um, Turn the bunny loose. Yes, here's the bunny. Like, this is, all the fashions are now obsolete. This is uh, 11. Mm-hmm. Words like Jewish, non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider. You know, all these characters. Character, uh, not characters, uh, labels. Labels. And then there's another place yep. where it's male and female. Right. And, and these are all labels. I seriously believe, and I think you believe this too, is that the only label we need to have, or even the only one that God labels us with, is child of God. I agree. Or child of Satan. I mean, people don't want to know that they're a child of Satan, but you're you're either of the world or not of the world. So even... And this might throw some, like, people under the bus, not under the bus, but people might want to throw me under the bus for saying this, but I'm just going to say it. Even all these, um, sexuality labels, these sexual labels, Mm -hmm. those were not, those are not biblical. None of them are. Not even heterosexual. They didn't think like that when they wrote the Bible. They didn't, sex was a, um, was an activity. It wasn't supposed to be our identity. 
and there was discussions about things like that. And there was in in the Bible, there are several discussions about things like that, and they're all negative. Yeah, it's because it, they're not the purpose for it is self gratification and not and not reproduction and not glorification of God. And um, I know that's contrary to what's popular right now, but um, yeah, I, I, I just, think we get off track. Well, and we seem to be so intent right now of having a label Mm -hmm. people want a label so bad they will do something contrary to their own good to be able to wear a label Mm -hmm. to be part of a group to be part of a of of a clique of of whether you're trying to be ultra conservative or ultra liberal or whatever it is any of those things people are going to extremes to try and be part of a group you know the best group to be part of the most adventurous child of God. Because if you totally, truly believe in Jesus and go where he tells you to go and, and just follow him, it's a, an adventure. I mean, it's a crazy, fun-filled, unknown, unpredictable adventure. But anyway, let's go back. Cause this well, is- and that's, that's something that people are struggling against because things like uh, this being even-tempered. Mm-hmm. And content with second place, you have to fight your own nature for that. Yeah, you do. And it doesn't matter um, what class or category or label you put on yourself. Um, being even tempered and and calm about things is completely contrary to the world we see today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They. they Everybody they, wants to scream and yell, and whoever's yelling the loudest has to be right. They kind of glorify temper tantrums. Mm-hmm. So why don't we, let's go on, because you may read this next part. Okay, 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Mm. So the question is, how do we give the word of Christ plenty of room in our lives? That's how Mr. Peterson said it in 16. Yeah, how do we do that? How do we give the word of Christ the run of our ourselves, our house, room in our lives? Well, I think, again, it's a focal point. Mm. What you focus on is what you give room to in your life. If you're focused on God, God takes your life. Mm-hmm. God fills it. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the Spirit, He will fill it with 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 knowledge and with information, with conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to Him instead of listening to others, you won't have that argument with other people because it's not worth it. Yeah. Unless there's right. a benefit to it. And usually that's not an argument, that's a discussion. Mm-hmm. And if people want to argue, just don't. Yeah, because if, if you refuse to argue, well, there it goes. That's well, it. when someone's trying to draw you into an argument, they have, a, they have a goal, they have a design, they have something they want to prove. And it seems to be a, a trend of the day. They try and do it by flashing out words or terminology or something that's offensive to try and get you angry as they are Hmm. everybody wants to meet you at a point of anger yeah and not at a point of discussion not at a point of of calm 
reasoned thinking of of dignified discussion. It just doesn't happen. And we can see that in everything from our politics to our the stuff on news to the television shows. I remember seeing this when our kids were very young. Um, We had a satellite thing, a hookup, and Disney Channel, remember? All the kids were obnoxious. Oh, yeah, and they all, like, bossed their parents. And in all the shows, the kids were obnoxious and the parents were clueless. And that's what the kids were being fed. Mm -hmm. So is it any surprise that we now run into teenagers and 20-somethings that all have that worldview. Mm-hmm. We fed that to them. Wouldn't it be cool if, like, media, they could bring people of varying viewpoints, even from farthest spectrums, and people just have intelligent, kind discussions? That would be very interesting. It would be very interesting. I mean, very respectful. It would be very interesting to see uh, two people from political parties that are just having a legitimate discussions about what's best for everyone. Yeah. And those may happen. They but probably are that. happening. You're right. I bet they, they do. probably are happening all the time, but that's never shown to the rest of us. And because it's not shown to the rest of us, people think it doesn't happen. Yeah. And true. that's unfortunate because, you know, just like as believers in Christ, we may have slightly different opinions about things. There are things that are absolutes and there are things that are opinions. Mm-hmm. So... There, you know, as long as there's a translation of the Bible that someone's looking at that is not contrary to the Bible or to God's will, does it make a difference if you're reading an NIV Bible or you're reading a King James Bible or you're reading a, you know, American Standard or whatever it is? No, and yet people will have huge screaming arguments about yeah which version of the Bible you're using for things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not just. It's not just the secular world. It's also within our own world. Uh, and you Look know, at the denominations and the fighting and, and the arguing there. And how some of the denominations are splitting now yeah. over arguments that are non-biblical arguments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the church is supposed to be the bride of Christ. Yeah. How do you think he All feels about something like that? Oh, well, part of me kind of knows what he feels like because I know that I am so much happier when my kids are getting along. But when they're fighting each other almost to their throats, that just hurts me. And it and it, I just I just want to please get along. Of course, this is uh, we only have one kid at home now, so we we don't really have this kind of fighting. But I remember right. our two oldest in high school. They both are just completely opposite in ways. One of them could get ready in two minutes and be out the door, and the other one, if if this one was um, leaving at the right time. That meant she was late. She like five minutes early was five minutes late for her. Yes, if she wanted to be, and that was, that was and just, it's just two different personalities. It was, yeah, it was two different personalities mm-hmm. there, but those little minor things were making a major conflict amongst them. And I just wanted them to get along as the right. parents. So and I, I think, think that's how God is. Yeah, and I think God looks at us and sees us, you know, and He says, "This is all small stuff. This mm-hmm. is all small potatoes." Mm-hmm. If you're focused on him, that stuff shouldn't matter to you either. And that's where it goes back to the very beginning of what we were reading. If we're focused on him, if the house is full, mm-hmm. and if we are focused on him and on the things that he asks us to think about, we don't have time for any of that. Okay, this next it's question. It's not part of our lives. This next question is great because I do have a teacher in the room, which is you. Mm-hmm. Okay, reread verse 17. It says, 
I'll read it again. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. The question is, how can we do household chores in the name of Jesus, like laundry, dishes, sweeping, dusting, mopping, etc.? For the teachers in the room, how can you write your lessons plans in the name of Jesus? So there. How can you write your lessons plans in the name of Jesus? Well, the first thing I think, when I look at a lesson plan, I look at what I'm doing. First of all, I have an objective. I'm teaching. There is a, there, by the end of the time, by the end of the lesson, students should be able to. Mm, okay. That's how all these, all your learning objectives are always written. By the end of the lesson, shouldn't, sh- students should be able to, and then you go through whatever it is. If it's math, they should right. be able to add two plus two, whatever it is. I, but if you look at that, I, I always try and take it a step farther up. Mm-hmm. I don't only want my, like if I'm teaching history, I don't want my students to just walk away knowing history. Mm-hmm. I want them to understand motivations. I want them to understand human nature. I want, to, mm. want them to understand um, both the positives and the negatives of every situation. And I want them to think for themselves about what is the right thing to do. Mm. So when we're looking at the causes of World War One and World War Two, and we're talking uh, about uh, colonialization and some of the other things and slavery and all those things that that are part of our history, um, I find them all worthwhile. That's why I'm really against the people that are tearing down statues and and trying to cancel out and rename things so that people don't understand that that would be a wonderful discussion point. Use that as a discussion point instead. And you want an open and honest discussion about things that are today offensive and those days were, were popular. Uh-huh. So How does that when, I set up, when I set up the lesson plan, uh-huh. I think what I'm trying to do is, is in every class from my junior high English classes all the way up through my high school social studies classes, I think what I'm trying to do is... is create that critical thought mm. that stop and think about it before mm-hmm. you say something mm-hmm. and That's I really think good. that that is my goal I want I want them to have a conscious thought I don't want them to regurgitate something to me how worthless is that yeah and I don't want them to memorize every date and not know any meaning mm-hmm. but instead I want them to stop and think about it and be able to take that into the rest of their lives mm. and look at everything in their life and stop and think about it. That's really good. We ha- I'm having class right now, uh, Contemporary American Issues, and we talk about the things in the news and the things, whatever the flashpoints are of the day, and, and you know we followed the uh, Derek Chauvin trial, and we talked about Black Lives Matter, and we have talked about politics and all of those things. And it's amazing because it was really a blank slate. Mm-hmm. These kids had no knowledge of any of this. They do not watch the news. They have no connection whatsoever with what's going on outside of their own personal realm, uh, sphere of influence. However, when presented with it, and when we talk about it, and we talk about it, and we look at all sides, mm-hmm. they come out with enlightening answers, mm. deep thinking. Mm-hmm. Why aren't we just talking about this instead of fighting about mm-hmm. this? They'll say things like, well, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to benefit from that. Why are they saying that? Mm-hmm. And as those things go along, um, they're starting to mature. I see the maturity level growing in them faster than I do in kids that don't have my class. Yeah, and I can see that. 
I'm not tooting a horn here. I'm just saying that when the kids are given the opportunity to think for themselves, they do some wonderful things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what God is, is directing us to here also is stop and think. I gave you a brain. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a quote that's and it's a sticker that runs alongside my cabinets. It's from Dr. Seuss. Mm-hmm. It says, you have a brain in your head and shoes on your... Uh, you have brains in your head and shoes on your feet. Something about you can take yourself wherever you want to go. Mm. So in other words, you have the ability. God, We have a God-given ability to put conscious thought and control mm-hmm. into our lives. Mm-hmm. Discipline, self-control, even temperedness. Mm-hmm. In a way that other, other the other animals are not required to. They're not asked to, and they're not given the ability to. Mm-hmm. We have an ability to act with in, intelligence and with intent. And if we're not using that... Mm-hmm. We're wrong. We're no different than the animals. And that was, God did not create us to be an animal. God created us in His image to be who we are. What you're saying completely agrees with what Paul is saying in this in this chapter in a it, a roundabout way because so, so often people in the church will want to for the for people's own benefit for the church's own benefit they want to make a list of rules you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do this and all that stuff mm-hmm. for maybe to guide new christians well, but then what happens people come to them with questions and instead of saying well here's where you can look that up and read that mm-hmm. in your bible they'll say Here's what I think. Well, Here's what we've always done. Mm-hmm. This is the way we do it here. And in doing so, they take away the individual. Um, right. They're not thinking for themselves. Well, they take away the individual's ability to discern things, but they also take away the individual's responsibility. I'm just doing what they tell me to do. Right. Well, but I think, as you said, God gave us a brain to use. Right. And I think if we walk by the Spirit and we allow every Christian to you know have their own personal relationship with Jesus and not tell them how to do it they don't the holy spirit will guide them i mean you can do studies together but trust the spirit to guide people you know i mean of course there's times where people ask for advice or you're or as like you're the pastor you're supposed to give us good sermons but i mean you also have to um let that person grow in critical thinking spiritually like you're doing right. with your students right okay so well, wow. like I like I attempt to. Oh, you do. It doesn't always job. work, and I always don't always do it right. But that's that's my goal in the end, mm-hmm. is that they can figure it out for themselves. I will answer the first part of this question because someone mm-hmm. actually might want to know the answer. How can we do household chores in the name of Jesus? Mm-hmm. One example from from me, and I'm not saying this is the only way. There's probably a zillion different ways you can do household chores in the name of Jesus. But like when I do dishes. I often say, thank you, God, we had food to eat. And thank you, God, I had dishes to wash. And thank you, Lord, that, you know, things like that. Because, you know, not everybody, and I, oh, especially when I do laundry, thank you, Lord, I have a working washer and dryer. Because there's been times I haven't, and that makes things a lot more difficult. So, you know, you can start with thankfulness with the household chores. So let's go to the next part. And then you can take it farther. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can start with thankfulness Mm -hmm. and then take it to... A task where when you're doing a task that, like washing the dishes, which is not going to take a lot of your focus, Mm -hmm. you can wash dishes without focusing intently Mm -hmm. on the dish. That might be a great time. Oh, to pray. 
to, to talk to God. Mm-hmm. You have the ability at that point in time or to worship God or to do whatever, um, to focus on him and to fill your house, like it says, mm-hmm. yeah, with the things of God. Can you read the next part? Colossians 3, this is 18 through 25. 25. Yep. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master to no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. and Don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work, work from the heart of, for your real master, for God, confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you are serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. And mm. then there were, I'll just, well, the questions I have are, how can we sum up the above directions to spouses, children, parents, and servants? And why should we keep in mind that the ultimate master we are serving is Jesus Christ? I'd like to answer the second one, if you don't mind. Okay. Okay. We should keep in mind that the ultimate person we're serving, no matter what we're doing in our jobs, wherever our life takes us, is that we're doing it for Jesus because then he is considered Jesus. That's Hebrews uh, 12, 2. Consider Jesus. You put him in front and you do all things for him. If you do, you're going to be loving him. You're going to be loving people. And you have a much better chance of being doing it God's way than Jane's way or whatever your name is. And I, and I just think um, summing up all that, you're loving people. And, and I do right. like, I want to say one thing. I like how uh, Eugene Peterson 18 also says in other... Oh, my goodness. It says, wives, be submissive to your husbands, or whatever. Uh, yeah, and that is that can be such a sticking point but, to people, and that's not what Paul means. And how he how Eugene Peterson interprets it sounds makes it, makes it sound the way it really should be read. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. And then husbands go out, go all out in love for your wives. I will it's tell a, you if it's I'm, a two-way oh, street. Yes, it is. And so many people get hung up on 18 and don't read 19. That's the talk about submission and, oh, you're trying to keep women down. and Not in the least, because we just read in the same chapter, in the same book, in the same Bible, written by the same man, how we should be even-tempered and have quiet strength and discipline and humility and we know that god says we are to love each other Mm -hmm. so if you are in a marriage and you are trying to compete i don't care if you're competing with your husband or you're competing with your wife either one if it's a competitive thing that's not a relationship men this is my little tidbit for marriage advice men really want to feel respected and honored women want to feel loved and cherished Hmm. And it gets down to that. I mean, it's very simple. But really, if if you're a wife, your husband just wants to know he has your respect, that you see him as a man, and that you honor who he is in your life. And husbands, a woman wants to feel cherished and loved. And I do for my husband, and I'm thankful for that. But I guess we should wrap up. Yeah. Um, I want, this is, this uh, has been interesting. Yeah, I like and this. I want to applaud if you are in 
our Sunday school class and you've done your lesson, well, thank you. That makes me feel good. Okay. Well, God bless. And uh, I recommend whatever version you're reading, pick up Colossians and read through it. It's a short book that has some really nice depth to it. Yeah. God bless. Bye.